This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. And with me today is Hans, who has not gotten a new computer just yet. Uh, it seems that you are still using that, what was it, a 1997 Dell? No, it's just like a Chromebook. It's not It's not great. Has it been nostalgic for you? No, it's it's annoying. I was uh, 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 streaming with, uh, with um, the Death Course boys the other day, and my lag was like 20 seconds. So that was really annoying when you're trying to have a conversation with someone. Because I thought they were just, I thought they were just talking over me, and I was like, you, <laughs> and it was just a lag. Oh, that that is the worst situation. Imagine. I mean, remember when we did that show on Twitch? That when we we're still exploring with the idea of doing live shows, and this was not when we did the Twitch beta test when we were talking about uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse, the Todd Salons film. This is when we were talking about Possessor back in 2020. And Jack's internet was like way behind ours, so he would yeah. get whatever joke you'd say three minutes after and just laugh. <laughs> it would be like uh, an MSNBC live on the ground interview yeah. with, with a reporter. Fucking suck. In Iraq? Yes. Iraq. Well, hey, speaking of Iraq, we have Detective Wolfman here on the show tonight. How are you doing tonight, Detective Wolfman? Uh, I'm doing very well. How are you, boys? Uh, doing fantastic. Just dandy. Hans, how's your diabetes doing? Uh, it's good. The thing that got me all fucked up is that I just got uh, past COVID, but it fucked up with my uh, taste and smell. So everything just tastes awful now. Like I was brushing well, my teeth. We, we always today. knew you had bad taste, huh? I thought <laughs> I thought I was brushing my teeth with shit because it's like this is not minty. Like I don't feel minty fresh at all. It was just bitter and awful. So now I, I have that. It's just. Great for my diet, I guess, because I just don't Yeah, I was going to say, that coincides <laughs> very well with your diabetes diagnosis, right? So now you're not going to be as tempted to uh, eat any sweet snacks. Hey, Wolfman, what is your favorite sweet snack? A uh, sweet snack? Um, it's probably just like Reese's Cups. That's pretty good. That's a good choice. As far as candy goes, anyway. Are you, uh, would you say you're a fan of uh, frozen Reese's Cup? So I don't freeze them, but I do put them in the fridge. So I get them cold, but I don't get them, I don't get them so cold that you know they're going to crack my teeth. Right. That's a, that's a very wise decision. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about Reese's cups, I think of uh, Jews being burnt in World War II. Yeah, totally. Everything what? reminds me of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the section that made it to our latest clip on YouTube. Is you talking about how you tried to put in a prompt for Mid Journey AI for Joe Biden? What was it, picking flowers at Auschwitz? Auschwitz, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Hey, we're talking about The Keep tonight. We're talking about Michael Mann's The Keep, and uh, we're going to delve a little bit into its source material, The Keep, by F. Paul Wilson, who's a, a novelist. He's a kind of a genre novelist. He, he really loves doing these um, vampire horror books. And uh, we have talked about The Keep on this show before when we were doing the Michael Mann retrospective with Kid Polaroid. And then I isolated that and I put that out by itself uh, maybe about a year or two after just because I had gotten back into um, the movie. I found a a merchant online who had been selling 1080p copies of the film. I'm very curious, Wolfman, how uh, you wound up watching this movie because it's legally anyway it's not really available anywhere aside from australia and even that's a more recent thing um they have not taken any great efforts in 
restoring this movie or trying to ensure that it never goes out of print. And I think that's entirely because of Michael Mann's opinion on this film. He's not a fan of what was put out to theaters. So uh, just to kick things off, Wolfman, how, how did you go about watching The Keep for this program? Well, I have a buddy of mine who's very computer savvy, uh, as I am not. And uh, he's got a he's got like this weird channel on uh, on Plex. Plex is like one of these free streaming apps you can download on a Roku TV and you can watch a lot of crap with apps or with ads. Uh, but he fe- he figured out a way to where he can basically he has his own channel that he like sent me a link to. And he just uploads shit to it. And so, and he can, he can find anything. So anytime I needed to watch anything, uh, either for uh, drunk on movies, rest in peace, or just for my own curiosity, I'll send him a text. And usually like within the hour, he's got the movie uploaded to the thing. So that's how you went about it. Was it a good yeah. copy of the movie? Was it actually clear or, or did this look like a VHS rip? Uh, it looked like a VHS rip. Ooh. It did not look good at all. Okay. So yeah. I, I also recently downloaded a Laserdisc rip of mm. The Keep. So I've been checking that out uh, just to see how it looks because I've never not seen it pristine. And I actually have on one of my hard drives. And Hans, maybe you sent me like a link or something to it long after the fact. I have a 35 millimeter copy of the print. And uh, it is really uh, something to watch in all these different formats because it's such a visually strange and, and interesting and compelling film. Um, so it looked like a VHS copy you got your hands uh, on. Is that like the only means you've ever seen this film before? Because correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you know, I, I've seen you chime in about the keep a few times before on mm. uh, Twitter. Yes, yeah, so I'd seen it before uh, a few years ago. I was pretty new to it. Um, I'd always been a fan of like, you know, Michael Mann's hits, you know, Heat, Collateral, that sort of thing. Um and I remember, I, I don't remember how I heard about it, but I wound up watching it a few years ago. And at the time they had it on Prime. Uh, and it was a, it was a good, like it was a good version. Um, and it's strange because, I mean, I remember, I remember it being a very odd, very flawed film when I watched it. But I remember, I remember it still kind of digging it overall. But after listening to the book on tape, and watching it again, uh, uh, it made it 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 made the problems even more glaring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it feel more. Watching it the second time, it felt like they shot an outline and not a script. Uh, among among other things, what, what did you think of the um, the tone difference between the film and the book? Because how I read the book anyway. It felt very Dracula. It felt very Bram Stoker's Dracula to be yeah. compared to what we wound up getting, which is not that at all. No. Um, it kind of feels like... You know what I watched recently is um, The Golem, the mm-hmm. silent film from, I think it was like 1918, maybe? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, it feels more in line with something like that, a big monster movie um, full of... Monkeys. Monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um it, it, it doesn't really um, capture that that essence that F. Paul Wilson uh, puts into his book. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to get your take on that as well. Well, it's interesting because uh, I think a big a big part of that is because in the book, they spend so much time 
making you think that the monster is a vampire, mm-hmm. that a uh, Molasar is basically Dracula. Uh, and then it's only uh, spoilers. Anyone listening? It's only revealed in like the final act that he's something more, and he's just using that to get people get uh, uh, Kuza to work with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the film, they don't. I don't even think they say the word vampire. And in the in the movie, he doesn't like rip their throats out. They don't have bloody deaths. He like burns them with energy. You know, it's yeah. very it's very clear from the beginning that he's just some sort of like odd being out of time um with, and, uh, with no real like rules or myth around him yeah he feels much more like uh and i listen i like molasar in this movie i'm quite a fan of the design and everything but there's yeah i where, wanted more of him yes yeah absolutely where where it, for me it feels like at points he's almost like a power rangers villain yeah you know, the way mm-hmm. he goes up against them but uh, yeah, you don't have those same components that are found within the the novel, and the novel is apparently part of a series, I, which I wasn't aware mm-hmm. of until uh, someone commented on it on Patreon when I mentioned we were going to be covering uh, the Keep. So apparently, there's multiple novels in this series, none of which have been adapted to film. The Keep did have a graphic novel adaptation somewhat recently because it's become a little more fashionable to take okay. a, a second look at this uh, film. But I haven't checked that out. I haven't mm-hmm. taken a look at that. Hans, you were going to input something. Yeah. Did you think that the, the what's it, Molasar, is that the name? Yeah. Uh, it's like a proto-Vecna from Stranger Things? Yeah, maybe. Maybe a little bit. Maybe since you watched Stranger Things 4 recently, it kind of seems that yeah. way. There's a similar design there. But it's all like Skeletor-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I love the Mortal Kombat 1 Raiden electricity <laughs> rays that he was throwing that, yeah. that was very enjoyable for me I, were you guys able to fi- I, I wasn't able to finish the audiobook I, I made it to hour 7 and I got lost at like hour 4 so I was just, just no idea what was going on for like the last 2 hours I just I got to a point where it was a lot of just how can I Jewish talk uh, from from uh, the voice that the guy was making I'm assuming he was being the, you know, the Ian McCann, Ian Mc, what's his name? Ian, Ian McCann. Mc, yeah, Ian McCann character where he's just talking about how, I don't know where they're doing this to us. We're good people. Like that type of shit to his daughter, I think it was, mm-hmm. for like an hour. Uh, that's when it, when it lost me, when I was just like, I don't even know where I'm listening to anymore uh, because it focused a lot on that. And the movies, it, it already starts with them going to Romania to the keep right away uh with the the book something that i noticed right at the beginning was that it takes a while for them to even get there because at the beginning they're they're trying to figure out uh why they're going there and 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 who they're sending which soldiers and 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 all of that when the movie's just immediately straight no explanations just you know we're gonna get there and and uh send the army there i guess well the nazi army yeah the 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 book the book is just able, and I mean, obviously, just because of the the art form, the book is able just to build so much more. Like the the fact that you know the the first uh, like the whole first act of the book is just these German soldiers getting killed night after night, and it's kind of, and it's building up the dread of this uh, of this horror plot. Uh, in the movie, the like they arrive, and then like the next scene is the SS showing up and. Uh, Jurgen Prochnow being like something's killing my men like uh 
yeah, like they let it out. He kills like two guys and then they skip everything else and they get right into like, like a hundred pages into the book in like the first mm-hmm. 20 minutes. You know, what do you guys make of the cast uh, that is assembled for this film, The Keep? Because it, it's pretty stacked, especially for an 80s horror movie. Yeah. And considering this was Michael Mann's uh, second feature film, I don't know what the general reception or box office to Heat was at the time. Um, obviously, it has kind of crystallized into this 1980s gem mm-hmm. um, that uh, I, I, I'm not certain was... Um, as uh, universally adored back then, but you've got Scott Glenn, you've got uh, Jurgen Prochnow, who's kind of like uh, he's always great, but he's kind of like the poor man's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's got that mm-hmm. look to him. Like yeah. if you can't afford him, and you're doing a Sci-Fi Channel movie, you can mm-hmm. probably get that guy. Uh, you got Gabriel Byrne, who I think probably gives the best performance of the movie. Although I don't know if much is required of him, he just has to be kind of menacing as the SS mm-hmm. soldier. Um, and uh, Ian McKellen. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And the, the, uh, 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 the thing that the cast lends itself to is just how much of uh, how much of a missed opportunity the movie is in a lot of ways, because like from the jump, just the, the concept of it is really ballsy. Mm-hmm. You're making this like period piece horror movie and you're throwing in like at the time, a very modern tangerine dream soundtrack uh and yet your lead is a an officer in the german army in world war ii not a nazi party member but you know close enough you know he's adjacent that's asking a lot of american audiences even back then i think and yeah he's played by jürgen prock now who even back then i don't think was like a leading man no Uh, was das boot before this or uh maybe that was after that was uh wolfgang peterson's was it like a TV movie they released at theaters? They would do that pretty frequently where there would be like a six-hour or four-hour TV movie. Mm. And uh, they would chop it up into two hours and put, in, put it in theaters. They did the same with Salem's Lot. And um, I feel like another big TV movie like moment from the late 70s, something like that uh, also mm. got the theatrical treatment. Not Roots because that would be oh, – that's eight, well, 81. Uh, that's 81? Okay, so yeah. it was right before this. Well, and a, a choice that I really dug in the movie is, is uh, casting Scott Glenn as Glaken, mm-hmm. because Glaken is supposed to be this, you know, immortal, very old uh, entity, you know, like this this old old figure from the first age, very much the type of character that you would cast a European for or an Englishman to lend that kind of timeless gravitas to. And I thought it was very ballsy to cast like a cowboy like yeah. cast an American in that role. And yeah, you know, Scott Glenn always looks great. He's got that raw boned, uh, uh, just like real, like tough, like hardened look. Were you guys I, confused I was... about, oh, go ahead, Hans. Yeah, I thought it was Lance Hendrickson for like 90% of the movie until I looked it up and I was like, oh, all right, there's another kind of wormy white guy then. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the millennium guy that I thought it was. I was going to chime in. Uh, Were you guys confused about what purpose he served in this movie before reading the book? Because he just kind of shows up out of... There's very little explanation with his character or what uh, he is intended to service the plot uh, through, as aside from being a 
uh, an antagonist to this Molisar character. It's not really, you know, it really feels a lot like what you said before, Wolfman, like they had a, a outline to go off of and were just trying to jam all of these components together and weren't too concerned about the functionality of how that would come together mm-hmm. or, um, you know, just whether or not that would be something that would appear as a linear film. Well, and I read online, and this could all be bullshit, but I read that like there was a much longer, much more complete version of the film, and that was mm-hmm. the one that Michael Mann turned in, but it was like two and a half hours long, and the studio gutted the damn thing, and that's a big part of why it's such a like so incoherent. Yeah, there was a two two hundred and ten minute uh, copy of the film. Now, uh, th- this has been spoken to death is like, yeah, he had his three hour version or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not unconvinced that it was a work print and someone misunderstood and that's just been an urban myth ever since. But yeah. Um I don't know. I can't imagine what that three hour version would look like. Now I know with um subsequent T V broadcasts of of this movie, there have been bits and pieces of it that have been featured in that because obviously they gotta extend for time to meet, you know, a certain number of ads uh mm-hmm. per showing or whatever. But that's not what was featured in any of the copies that went to streaming, which, you know, the Amazon Prime version that you cited and then the one that I bought, which was a 1080p copy. I'm pretty sure that's close to whatever the theatrical um, version of the film was. Uh, But apparently the ending is quite different depending on uh, which which version of the movie you wind up seeing. I would be really interested to see if that footage even still exists at this point i do think at some point maybe michael mann has to die first uh <laughs> someone's gonna like somebody like arrow will take this movie and they'll get a hold of all that footage and they're gonna put out a a very um you know uh comprehensive blu-ray that maybe 50 people will buy mm-hmm. but uh Good you know i think you. this is also just a weird pick for him to be helming considering the rest of his filmography Definitely. Uh, it clearly sticks out. There's nothing fantasy or really, hor- I mean, aside from Manhunter, there's nothing uh, particularly horror related to any of the work that he's done over the years. Uh, but this seemed to have stuck out to him. He wanted to tackle some sort of big fantasy epic, I guess, as his second feature. Yeah, it, it is pretty wild. What, uh, when I watched it again, I kind of couldn't help. I couldn't help but kind of keep drawing parallels to the Highlander in my mind, which come which came out three years later, and thinking of uh, if that uh, if the Highlander director had been had been given this movie, how different it could have been. Uh, Russell Russell uh, Mulcahy, because I could definitely see like, like a cheesier but possibly uh, more popular version of this film mm. where like christopher lambert is glaken and uh friggin uh what's his name uh the guy who played the kurgan clancy brown is molasar yeah you could almost like copy and paste the cast of that movie and like put them in this that that could be great i can i can perfectly envision that i just watched highlander for the first time a couple of weeks ago oh wow yeah and uh, I was surprised at just how much I enjoyed. That was something I always avoided when I was a kid because I would see the Highlander TV show on USA, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, "Nah, mm-hmm. fuck this! I'm not watching this piece <laughs> of shit." Yeah, that show looked like garbage. Yeah, so it always put me off to the movies, 
And I have no intention of watching Highlander 2 or Don't. any of those made-for-TV uh, spinoff films that they did using the, the television cast and Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Uh, doesn't, doesn't interest me. But that first Highlander movie I thought was terrific. And, you know, something like that could be used as um, just by itself. Even if you remove the sequels and everything else, you could use the template of that film as just uh, something to franchise. Yeah. You know, I can't uh, believe it hadn't been remade yet. I think I think that'll happen any day now, probably with uh I don't know, Jonathan Majors, who they cast as like every every character now. Yeah. Hans, well, who's gonna be the Highlander? Uh I don't know, but it's gonna be directed by Taka White T Taka White T is Highlander. Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be Eddie Redmayne. God Yeah, someone very skinny, just CGI muscles. Yeah. Something fucking terrible. And they'll get uh They'll get uh, Jason Momoa to be the Kurgan. Well, they they are they're remaking uh, Masters of the Universe, aren't they? Are they? Oh no! Like into a live no, action Dun- thing. It's uh, it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons is the one. I got Dungeons that. and Dragons. Yeah, no, oh, Masters okay. of the Universe. Did that that got a Kevin Smith revival series, didn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah, I, was... I think they did a yeah, I think they did like a cartoon, like a new animated series on Netflix or something. What I heard about that, and this could be wrong is that uh, that was critically panned because they killed off He-Man or whatever in like the first 10 minutes, and it was just focused on some girl. Oh, God. The move for everything. That's so so stupid. I can't wait till we reboot this podcast and uh, me and Hans die after three episodes, and it's just two female hosts. Yeah. That'll be good. It's two women. It's just Red Scare. Yeah, that'll be be the way to go. That'll be uh, the next season of movies. Um, You know... Speaking of franchising, you know, the Keep did have a board game. It did have a role-playing game as well Whoa. to accompany this film. So uh, they were they were looking beyond just the theatrical release. They were like, all right, we can do, use this property to sell some games and get kids excited about the Keep, about Molus R and the SS soldiers. You'll want to yeah. play as the SS soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eight to ten year olds worldwide getting into the role of uh, of SS officer uh, uh, Kempfer. Yeah, that'll be the way to go. Uh, that is uh, an interesting choice, I guess. But maybe they were doing that with like all the fantasy films back in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Wolfman, I, how old are you? I am thirty six. Okay. All right, so you would you you have you're in our age range, so you have some recollection of that. I remember they did that with like Clue, they oh yeah, like a video game or not a but like a literal VHS tape game of that, mm-hmm. or like certain things uh, that came out during that time. They would always somehow try and like transform whatever the big popular movie of that time was into board game RPG or something like the videotape. Yeah. yeah. The, um, the most successful version of that that I remember, it actually happened in the 90s when they did the Jumanji board game for Jumanji. That's right. Which that was like, that was perfect. Mm-hmm. And the board game was actually a lot of fun. I remember playing it with my friends and it was bitching. Yeah, I think I had more fun with the board game than I did the movie. I think that I liked oh, yeah. the movie in theory. Yeah. And I would always wind up bored when I would put it on. It was mm-hmm. one of those films for me. No, I pretty much, the- I only watched it for David Allen Greer because I liked In Living Color back then. Oh, my God. I forgot he was even in the movie. Oh, yeah, dude. He's the cop. Oh, that's right. That's right. Hans, what were you, what you about were about the... to say? You share your favorite Jumanji memory, right? Yeah. What about what about Kevin Hart's Jumanji? I have that on my shelf over there. 
in 4K bl- pristine Blu-ray. No. That's the real Jumanji, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Closed box, haven't opened it. Yeah. Just you know what's do, great about that is no one hopped in a tub and cut their wrists after making it. Yeah. <laughs> so, is that how he did it? It wasn't a choke jerk? No, it was for the that? last time. No, it wasn't a choke <laughs> jerk. That was the move. That was the world's greatest dad. That's I don't know why you, you're fiction. pretending that I... That I bring it up all the time. You no, brought I thought, it. I, I thought. I thought he tried to. I thought he tried to slice his wrist, but it didn't take, and he hanged himself. Here's what he did. Listen, he got in the tub. He cut his wrist. He put a bag over his head. He drowned himself. Wow. He, he did. He was very desperate to die. Really yeah. Wanted to go. Jesus. Wow. And then he masturbated so that his blood would flow <laughs> quicker in <laughs> <And> his wrists. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the keep. What do you? All right. So. I don't know where I put this as far as Michael Mann's films go, because there's a lot of aspects to this where I love the creativity of it, mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't justify the, the the whole piece as something that is high in quality necessarily. I, I don't even know if it's all that watchable or rewatchable rather. Um, but I, I don't know. I think a lot of the special effects in this movie I really enjoy. Um, the soundtrack is fantastic. Yeah. You know, you have Ian McKellen and old man makeup trying to sell that the best he can before he returns to his youthful, vibrant, uh, gay self. And definitely it's, um, there, I, I think I like the idea of the keep more than I might enjoy the film itself. Mm-hmm. Um, where does it fall for you as far as Michael Mann's film? Are you a big Michael Mann guy as far as that goes i'm pretty big there's still a few of his movies that i haven't seen like i'm not uh i'm not a cinephile and i think part of the part of the reason the thing that's always stood in my way is that if i like a movie i'll watch it 30 times instead of like watching 30 movies once right so yeah there's still a lot of michael there's still a few michael man flicks that i haven't seen like i still haven't seen ali i still haven't seen the insider um i haven't seen uh anything new like i didn't see black hat or whatever it was but black uh, hat was a surprise because i was expecting it to be far less competent than it was but i checked that out after we did our uh, show on the pilot episode of tokyo vice with brendan mm-hmm. and with anthony and uh that was one i had always intended to get around to because i hadn't seen black hat i still haven't seen public enemies public I enemies had, is great I, I i've heard it's a very uh interesting way to helm that sort of period piece gangster drama with the way he shot it and yeah it, it has and everything it has to grow on you like the first time i saw it I didn't, I didn't like it and i and it was for that reason yeah because it's like digital it's very handheld it was not the like it was not the like beautiful staged like slow period piece that i kind of wanted it to be mm-hmm. uh like i went in expecting like a uh like a frank darabont version of that movie right. and it is not that but after a few viewings and letting go of that and getting over it. Uh, the movie itself, uh, I, I really enjoyed. And it's got, it's got one of those things that I've noticed about Michael Mann's work that I really enjoy that I think is so interesting because he's such a very technical director. Um, is something I've noticed that a lot of his movies are these like fleeting, fast romances that his characters have like like these men and women will meet and they'll they'll make a choice they'll like fall in love they'll begin this sort of like this this love affair which 
uh, on paper kind of seems like it would stand out, particularly in like a lot of the crime films that he does. But there's a line in Heat when uh, Robert De Niro says, uh, life is short, anytime you get is luck. Uh, I think Michael Mann believes that. Like, I think he believes that as a person. And I think that's why all the, like most of the movies that he has, they have these like burning romances in the midst of these kind of technical and utilitarian stories. Yeah, I would say Black Hat fits that description to a T as well. And it, okay. maybe even maybe even Tokyo Vice. It is a recurring uh, aspect to almost all of his films. The mm. only one maybe that lacks that uh, could be could be uh, Manhunter, maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, no, actually, no, because Francis Dollarhide has his romance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So yeah, I wonder. No. I wonder if that's part of what drew him to this project is the like very the very fast you know not as fast in the book obviously but the like uh fast intense uh connection between uh magda and glaken mm. i wonder if that resonated with him now hans you had seen the keep uh previously for our retrospective show uh did you get around to rewatching it for yeah. this program all right so I, I here's what i'm curious to know is uh, what did you pick up on in your second viewing that maybe you didn't when we initially talked about it back in 2020, I think it was now? Uh, it has one of the most awkward sex scenes I've ever seen in my life, where they just kind of rub against each other for way too long. Uh, and it's very, it's shot in a very, uh, like, um, Cinemax way, but without showing nothing. Uh, so it's just very sweaty, rubbing against each other. And then they get into like a, a Jesus pose, both of them, which is very weird. Uh, I think I, I agree with you uh, with the fact that I, I like the concept more than the, the execution. Uh, the, I like the idea of the keep. I like the physicality of the place. And God damn, can you hear that fucking dog? Yeah, don't, don't worry about it. I, right. Listen, I've been uh, cutting <laughs> clips for YouTube and all I hear is dogs distantly barking in the background it's fine. we have a fucking rottweiler next door that won't shut up because there's neighborhood cuts everywhere anyway uh i like the the first couple of deaths i thought that was really well done with just like the hole and they just get uh, the guy gets sucked into the hole that first death i really liked and uh i kind of wanted to see more of that but then when you actually see the deaths uh like uh wolfman here said he kind of just saps them to to death which is not very exciting uh but uh i enjoy the the canon like special effects that this movie has um and uh, the ending i i was i was laughing when i was watching that uh the ian mckellen just flying around and throwing himself <laughs> around to uh, rocks that was good uh, i don't think that was the intention uh so i'm pro probably like things that i wasn't supposed to like for reasons that i'm not supposed to like but uh, the idea of, you know, this giant place that has this hidden, we don't know what it is, that's that's killing soldiers. Uh, and then the fact that uh, the Nazis uh, have this, this feeling of like everything belongs to us, which is what ends up, you know, killing most of them. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, it was a better copy than the, the one that I saw before, too. So I was able to see a little bit more uh, clearly the, the effects when they were happening. 
Uh, but uh, yeah, I think, like you said, the 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 idea of what the story is, uh, I like better than than the actual execution of it. And uh, what was your takeaway on what you had gotten from the novel? I know you gave up on it. Maybe you ran out of time yeah. or something. I uh, yeah. I originally listened to that audio book, which is an Audible exclusive, by the way. I should, I wish I still knew what the affiliate code for us was because they don't ex they terminate you um, when they're ready to get rid of you, and you will get a notice for that. We haven't gotten a notice yet. Our old podcast got a notice for that after a couple of months. I can only imagine why. Um, but we could have made a cool $15 converting people over. What a shame. Uh, but what, what did you make of the audiobook before you gave up on it? Uh, it definitely has a lot of more um, introduction to what we're seeing. Uh, I like the way that they set it up. Like I said before, uh, the the first meeting that the, the Nazis have, just trying to figure out what this place is, what's happening, I know what we're going to do about it, and how... Uh, some of them don't believe that uh, what's happening is actually happening. Uh, I didn't like that part of the movie where it's just, it's very straight into, well, there's the building and, and uh, here's the Nazis and they're going to get killed and they get killed immediately. We don't know what it is. Uh, I, I like the, the, the way that it was building for like the, I think it's like the first hour of the audiobook before they even get to the keep or around that. Uh, where it's just, uh, you know, creating the world, uh, talking about Romania and the area where it's where it's set up. I don't even know if they say Romania in the movie. Uh, I, I don't I don't think so. Um, now, as far as the book goes, correct me if I'm wrong. Are they being like warned by villagers not to go into that area? Or am I just thinking of Dracula again? No, in the in the book, the uh, like the groundskeepers, the groundskeepers like warning them not to stay there overnight. Like they can stay in the village, but they can't stay in the keep. That's right. Okay. All right. Yeah. It, 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 there's a clear one-to-one -one, uh, borrowing from mm -hmm. the Bram Stoker book as, as far as that goes. And if you ch take a look at any of the uh, paperbacks to the keep that were released mm -hmm. in the UK, uh, they will just put a vampire on the cover. They'll just put a man with fangs <laughs> on the cover, uh, which, you know, it goes right in the face of everything you see with this movie. But um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, as far as uh, the book goes, con continue, Hans. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no. Well, that, that's the thing. I, that's where I got. Uh, I was listening to it when, when I was in the middle of my COVID thing. So I kept falling asleep and then replaying the thing again and then falling asleep. So I got like, you know, bits and pieces. Uh, but but I I started getting lost when it focused on the Ian McKellen character. And then he just he was just complaining about them getting killed by Nazis. And I don't know why they're doing this to us type of thing. And then that's where where it lost me which was at around, I think, five-hour mark around that time. Okay. And um, so, yeah. as far as Molisar goes in this movie, I think one of the big highlights we pointed to when we originally did that show with Kid Polaroid is um, the design of that character. And he goes through a couple of different evolutions throughout the film. Uh, Wolfman, I wanted to get your take on the general look of Molisar and um, how that changes and, and what your thoughts on uh, just the general special effects of this movie. Are. Well, I mean, there are definitely some effects are better than others. Like the effect where he kind of first appears and he's just smoke. Mm. Uh, I thought that looked really bitching. Uh, and he's like carrying her name's Magda in the book. I think they changed her name for the movie. 
but uh, he's car- carrying her back to her father. I thought that looked really good. Uh, I think there's a later scene where you can kind of see through the smoke and you kind of, you get like a skeletal, like musculature that looks pretty rad. Mm-hmm. His, yeah. his final form, it's a cool design. Um, it, it looks a little, uh, it looks a little stiff. Um, but I also read that like, and maybe I misread this, but that the special effects supervisor died like two weeks mm-hmm. into post-production and the studio basically told Michael Mann to fuck himself and like do it on his own. <laughs> if I remember correct, I think it was the, um, and I, I might have this wrong as well, but this is just going from uh, intense research from a year and a half or two years ago. I think it was the guy who was supposed to handle all the practical effects on the set died mm-hmm. before they started filming and they didn't know how to, properly maneuver a lot of those things so that's why you have a stiffer molasar yeah um which i mean for this kind of movie i can't imagine how bad you'd have to be sweating if you hear that guy has died yeah. oh yeah <laughs> oh god man. um what do you guys do you guys think that the contents of this movie is going to prevent like a proper cut from coming out uh just because again wolfman you noted that even in 83 the average American probably is not making the distinction between a German soldier and SS soldier. Yeah. And that's certainly not happening in 2022 in, in a Western country. Oh, um, no. Do you think that um, that will prevent any sort of uh, proper release of this movie? I don't know if, well, you, you, you said you're not really a cinephile, but are you, do, are you well versed at all on any of like the boutique distributors like Criterion or, or Kino Lorber or any of these guys? I mean, I'm aware of them. Like, uh, I'm more aware of Criterion. Uh, I mean, maybe I feel like it, I feel like it would have to be a person, or it'd have to be a new company. Like, sort of like uh, if, I feel like if Cinestate were still around, like those guys might have had the balls to do something like that. Um, but uh, God, I wish they were still around. Huh? Yeah, no don't shit, you wish, man. Don't you wish Cinestate <laughs> were still around? Oh no, man, why? isn't it better what we got instead of Cinestate? Well, the the one big upside of that is we got Vincent Gallo back, but for, for, at what cost? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, what's the company Vinegar Syndrome? I can see them taking a uh, go at that. They they do take, like, exploitation and, like, obscure, gory movies from the 70s and 80s. I could see them maybe putting out something like this. The, the thing with Vinegar Syndrome is, though, they are best as, like, um a restoration uh, boutique distributor. So, you know, if something's going to be low on special features, right? But something like this, you would have to imagine there's a wealth of behind-the-scenes material, and you could, like, there was actually supposed to be a documentary, I think, a while back on the making of The Keep, and it got abandoned. Uh, Maybe I'm imagining it. Let me take a look real quick. But I remember there being a campaign to do a uh like because for a period of time within like the past five or six years there has been like a genre of documentary that focus on the making of horror films i know there's a pet cemetery documentary i just watched a documentary released yesterday on the making of stephen king's it 1990 Mm. um which was supposed to be far more extensive than it wound up being i think they cut it like two hours um and i believe they were promising it was gonna be like a three four hour documentary they got tim curry out of his uh, stroke-induced coma or whatever. He looks uh, rough. He looks better, but he looks pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, Does he look he like Sid High? He could have been a cool in, Molasar. In, yeah. He looks like Sid High and Three from Hell. 
Yeah, he's on par with that. Again, he looks better than he did before. He can actually like speak and you know. But uh, yeah, they got a lot of the living actors for that film. And I remember it was supposed to come out either before it 2017 or it 2019, and it just the original director couldn't finish it. He couldn't lock it up. So some other guy came in and then Bloody Disgusting, which is a uh, horror publishing house um, that you know does articles. They've been around since like the early aughts. I, I remember checking them out when I was a, a kid, um, wound up releasing it. And it was fine. But that was a big genre, is going back and, and delving into these um, older horror movies of the 1980s. Uh, you know, there's an extensive, like, five-hour, six-hour Nightmare on Elm Street one. I think there's an eight-hour Friday the 13th documentary that goes Jesus. through every single part of the, the series. Um, and that's I've watched both good. of those. Yeah, you checked both of those out. Yeah, those are those are fun, especially if you're if you're familiar at all with those movies. Yeah, I uh, I I probably especially enjoy the Friday the Thirteenth one. Although I've I've always been a fan of Freddy. Well, the, more. the Friday the Thirteenth documentary was, I mean, it was not only interesting and you know fun to watch, but there was like a, a special perk, at least at the time that they made it. Like all the actresses who came back to do the documentary, they were all still hot. <laughs> Like every single one of them was just a fucking fox. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that's one of the best special features is hot old actresses. That's my favorite <laughs> criterion supplement. Um, they weren't old. They were like, you know, well, like 40. old is subjective, you know. Uh, okay, all right. So, Oldest, yeah. Anyone older than, than us. <laughs> that's too old for a lady. Uh, <laughs> I, f- I found a. A key documentary called uh, the World War II Fairy Tale that came out in 2016. Is that the one you're talking yes, about? Yes, that it was that, like an Indiegogo. That's right. Thing. That's it. Yeah. Never released, right? They they said, "Fuck you guys. We're keeping the money. We're not putting." No, this it out. says it says here they could have pre-ordered the Blu-ray copy of it. So I don't know if when it is it. Ever. Hold on, pre-order. When is the release date though? Uh, 2016 december oh december of 2016 i'm looking forward to that uh yeah we'll just have to wait well that's uh very unfortunate that they took everybody's <laughs> money and never put out a movie um wow and we thought james wait, wolf was the worst of the worst yeah there's uh 2020 on imdb if you search for a world war ii fairy tale the making of michael mans to keep it says it was released in 2020, an hour and a half. But I'm not really finding a lot of information. Maybe they it. got hit with a cease and desist from Paramount. Uh, but I can't imagine that would be the case. I mean, they they allowed the Pet Cemetery document. That was also Paramount. Maybe Michael Mann personally threatened them or something. I don't know. But what can he do? He doesn't have the rights. That's unfortunate. I think that would be extremely interesting to check out and um, get get an idea of. Uh, off the top of my head, I think Arrow would probably be a great option because they're always uh, one of the best boutique distributors as far as supplements go. But a movie like this, sometimes you have to um, you have to wait for an international company to pick up, which is maybe why the DVD only came out last year, I think, and through an Australian distributor. Are you uh, are you checking out anything interesting off of that, Hans? I'm trying to find see if it was ever released. Uh, I don't think it was. Uh, I think it was buried. Which you know, speaking of rare films, I just obtained a rare film today 
I got uh, Puddle Cruiser from Broken Lizard, the 1996 wow. uh, comedy, <laughs> which is not available on streaming anywhere. Puddle Cruiser, st- starring Jay Chandrasekhar, the director of Easter Sunday, starring Joe have Coy, you, released this year. Have you seen it? What? That? Easter Sunday? No, Puddle Cruiser? No, I have not seen it. Have you? You you're watched in, it? You're, yeah, you're in for a treat. It's uh, it's not, it's not very good. <laughs> it's uh, unsurprisingly, it's like it's the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, That's uh, all right. Yeah. I, I intend on watching it down with my other new physical media purchase, Doctor Sleep, the director's cut, which I think we'll uh, we'll have to follow up on this no. whole trend of doing the book in the movie. No, I don't, I don't think I think you're not a fan. Fine. That's all right. Um, I think I it deserves see, a second glance. I didn't see glance. that one, but, but I, I knew a couple people who liked it. A lot of people liked it. We're yeah. the sole dissenters of that because <laughs> yeah. uh, it got universal critical praise, but nobody showed up to the theater to see it. Uh, are you a fan of Stephen King at all, Wolfman? Uh, yes and no. Like I've, I've I've read a few of his I've read a few of his things. I like some of his stuff. A lot of his stuff I tend to like more in concept than in execution. Mm-hmm. Like I love Cycle of the Werewolf obviously ah, uh yes. like the, the illustrated novella that he did that they based a uh, silver bullet off of which is the greatest werewolf movie of all time i agree uh, and uh like i enjoy like i enjoyed reading it but i enjoy it for as much of a like psychotic mess that it as it is mm-hmm. like as much as i do for the parts that are actually good um salem's lot was pretty good uh yeah it's weird because you you read his read his books and one of the things that always like takes takes me out is how how dated they are which normally doesn't bother me but there's something i've noticed this specifically in horror writers uh they're they're very fond of writing these like very explicit sex scenes but they write them the way like it's like they're writing it for a woman to read it (laughs) Like they use very flowery, pretty language to describe what's happening. Uh, it sounds it sounds very uh, uh, Victorian, and I'm mm. like, there are no women reading this book. It's like <laughs> it's like it's weirdos because... and fourteen year old perverts. Like, let's yeah, spice the shit up, Stephen. It's because they're uh, dorks. They don't fuck. Yeah, you think horror writers <laughs> yeah, are they... fucking? <laughs> but they'll have like a character. They'll have a character in a book that takes place in the '80s, like genuinely uh refer to sex as making love uh and outside of a rhythm and blues song i don't think anyone should use that fucking phrase (laughs) uh one thing i remember from it that i had to uh note on my episode of perfume nationalist is that it opens with a description of a gay man at the fair and stephen king likes to note you could see the outline of his erection through his pants. Mm-hmm. And it's not like an explicitly erotic scene. He's about to get gay bashed, but he's just hard <laughs> walking around hard at the fair. Huh? Yeah. Did you ever walk around hard at the fair? <laughs> no. I mean, when I was a younger man, I was hard, you know, <laughs> all in all that. sorts of places. Sure. For no reason at all. Yeah, on the bus, Hans, going to school. Hans, you know. have you ever been erect in a school? <laughs> no. Yes, well, when I was in school. Oh, yeah. really? Can yeah. someone just clip that before time. he starts trying to add context to it? Yeah, on the bus, you would just be like, "Oh, I guess I'm hard now. This is this is awkward sitting next to children." Yeah, well, I was a child too, so 
<laughs> well, that part's irrelevant, huh? So yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be checking out Doctor. Sl- I hated the book and I hated the movie, but I was just compelled <laughs> to check check out this director's cut, which is uh, three hours long. They tacked God. on an extra thirty minutes. God um, damn, it was woman... long enough already. It was way too long and already as with the theatrical, wasn't it? Like two and a half. It was. Ugh. I don't know. So I I don't know like who he pissed off, but. When are they gonna let you and McGregor like speak in his a- actual voice in a film again? Like Man. that motherfucker hasn't used his, his own voice in like fifteen years. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he doesn't have that accent anymore. Yeah, it's maybe like, it's just gone. Mel Gibson. If you ever see Mel Gibson in any interview now, yeah, there's not a trace of Australian there. Um, but if you take a look at an interview he conducted from like the early '90s or something, uh, it's very much so there. Gary Oldman is another guy where he just forgot how to use his real voice because he did so many fucking characters that he's mm-hmm. just he sounds like an American now. Um, oh, wow. I don't know. Uh, the last the last thing that I remember hearing uh, Ewan's natural voice in was Train Spotting Two. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, they did that. I never saw that. Were you a fan of the original at all? I was. Like I remember back when I was younger and I was, I was getting, you know, I I always loved watching movies as a kid. But as I as I got older and I got into high school, like I was broke and I wasn't very good at much. So I was kind of building my identity around like being the movie guy because mm-hmm. I could get like VHS tapes for cheap. And so that's when I started like branching out. You could still rent movies. So at the time, I remember thinking like, ooh, train spotting. This is like edgy out there cinema, you know, and I'm blowing all my friends minds with this obscure film. And now it's like everybody and their fucking mother's seen Transpotting. Well, that that's just a symptom of modern times is all these niche films that, I mean, not that that was a niche film necessarily, but all these niche films have become kind of mainstreamed as a result of the internet. Like, I'm trying yeah. to think of a good example of that. Um, Hans, off the top of your head. I feel like this happens with horror way more than it happens with any other genre. Maybe something yeah. like Halloween 3, because mm-hmm. everybody hated Halloween 3, and now everybody loves Halloween 3. As a matter of fact, Halloween 3 is the best Halloween. That's the general take now. It wasn't so popular to say that when I was saying that in 2015. Yeah, I'll, I'll be a hipster about it. But uh, there, that, that's, a, you know, that, that's certainly a trend. Trainspire is one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I loved it since I first saw it. And I had, like, I had that. I had, I had a, a Danny Boyle and that kind of that trio. I forget the other guys' names, but like the first three movies, like Shallow Grave, Train Spotting, and A Life Less Ordinary, I had all those on VHS. Uh, John Hodge or yeah, John yeah. Hodgman, mm-hmm. they got back together for uh, Train Spotting Two, and then they worked together again. Uh, maybe it was on that Sex Pistols Hulu show that was released, which unfortunately is not good, but it is really great to look at. It is one of the most uh, visually appealing and interesting things that i've seen produced by um any major studio but it's horrible uh Mm. the acting sucks the writing is terrible but it looks good it looks like pretty authentic 16 millimeter dirty grunge soft like 19 like late 70s early 80s looks but it's just every time someone opens their mouth you want to fucking kill yourself it's horrible I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to ask you fellas this. Uh, you guys are, are still like very committed and watching like, in addition to watching older things, you're watching newer stuff, things that are being made today, mm-hmm. uh, which I've completely sworn off, you know, and have done for the last several years. 
I've I've never been so like disinterested in uh, film or television as I am now. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, is there like is is there enough good stuff being done out there, or is it as bleak as I think it is? Uh, Hans, you want to start with that one? Uh, I think I already know Hans's answer. (laughs) Uh, I think there's, fuck, I I can't confidently say yes, uh, because I feel like most of the shit we watch is terrible, or something that I might start liking falls apart very quickly. Uh, I watched, um, uh, what is that um, Rian Johnson movie that is like, like, guess who? No, like Knives out. That was a piece of shit. That movie. Jesus fucking Christ! I don't understand the the praise. Everyone talks the same. Every character is just very snippy and very fast talking, and then things get resolved in a very convenient way that would only happen if you know you suck at writing. Uh, that was that was a, a one that I, I put off watching just because of all the praise that it got. And when that happens, usually the movie's not very good. And uh, I watched that last night, and and uh, it, it was terrible. Uh, so, I think you you kind of have to search for f- filmmakers or people that you whose work you enjoy already, uh, because I don't know if I if I've uh, watched anything by anyone new or or someone that I didn't know uh, that I have enjoyed. Uh, there's just a lot of content that is just content, but nothing. Mm-hmm you know, memorable or nothing that you're going to be talking about in a year or two. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's how it seems. It seems like there, there's no art. There's only content. Yeah. Well, I, I see. Okay. Um, I would say that 2019 was probably like the last year where we got like a, a solid boom of very good movies. Um, and then obviously 2020 was horrible. 2021 was not very good at all. Yeah. Uh, 2022 has been, pretty good as far as like movies going to theaters um i mean between vortex elvis i know hans you you surprisingly were not a fan of the northman uh we, we still got to get around to doing a show on that at some point yeah i still uh, got to see that uh ted k was kind of an interesting uh indie film with charlotte copley giving his first good performance since what was it district nine or district nine so, yeah. um i don't know there's been a lot of kind of interesting mid-budget movies that have been released this year. I would hesitate from calling most of them great. I would say that the only two that I think are, are genuinely great and will endure are Elvis and Vortex. I mean, even Top Gun Maverick, which everybody's like, movies are back, movies are safe. It's all Top Gun. It's all on the shoulders. I enjoy Top Gun Maverick a lot. It's probably mm. my top five for the year by default, but it's nothing special. It's not something you're going to watch as soon as it's out of theaters which is why they've kept it in theaters for like four months now. It's it, it's very 1970s, 1980s-esque how they're milking this film and letting it rise to the top, mm-hmm. which I don't hate that they're doing that. I kind of like that there's less options at the theater compared to uh, before because it's easier to dismiss everything that goes to streaming, uh, which is all, all almost always all shit. Yeah. I think it's a, it's also a lot of just the same. Like, no one's coming up with new concept. No one's coming up with anything new and interesting. 
seeing uh, that, again, will be memorable or worth watching in, in a couple of years. Uh, a lot of it is just rehashes or reimagining or, or, or remakes of things that don't need to be remade and don't really add anything new or interesting to what was already made. So they try to, uh, I guess, insert creativity in ways that don't make any sense or that don't fit what the thing is supposed to be. So then it's just a mess that has a target audience of nobody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like that happens a lot more now, or at least I'm noticing it a lot more now than with movies in previous years. Yeah, I had a, I had like a short list there for a while of guys that were still working. And, you know, not like the, not like the big guys, not like, not like Tarantino or uh, the Coen brothers, or I don't know. I don't even know who still fucking makes movies anymore. But uh, like, uh, yeah, I like, I like the, I like Eggers first two movies. I still have to see the Northman. Uh, I was digging Zoller for a while, but it looks like he's just done. I don't know. I don't, I don't think there's any, that's so unfortunate. I, you know, I just read, um, I didn't just read it. I read it like early this year. Uh, yeah. his, uh, his graphic novel he put out, uh, the, the, uh, the name is long and mm. complicated. I, I, I forget what it is. Let me Google that real quick. He's a very solid writer in every medium. Oh yeah. He's like, I've got several of his novels. I've, I've read three and I'm reading the fourth one right now. And I've, yeah, I've, I've dug all of those. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard talks on and off about him doing stuff and it always falls through. Mm-hmm. I like Taylor Sheridan, but he's pretty much you know he's taken up with the yellowstone tv shows i think there's like six of them now yeah and then uh uh who's the other one um yeah i I like refin but i don't know if he's ever gonna get back to like his pusher style or even like closer to drive i think he's just gonna keep like he's just gonna keep pushing these like three minute still shots of someone not speaking Mm-hmm. Uh, just just being weird because it's him. As yeah, long as the- someone pays for it, that's that's going to be his mo for a while. He has to fall. Once he fails, that's yeah. when he comes back and does something great. Uh, there's a very I, I don't know if you've seen uh, the direct uh, the documentary Gambler, which details that. Which is uh, I think it was Fear X cost mm-hmm. him a whole bunch of money. He had to put his own money into the film, uh, and it got him in debt. And he was like, all right, well, I don't know what to do now because I've lost my opportunity at rising in, in Hollywood in the English-speaking market. Mm. What can I possibly do? And that's when he goes and does Pusher. He decides to franchise his, his movie, which nobody would ever think to do that. We're going to do yeah. Pusher 2, 3. And he was going to do Pusher 4 with um, the Arab actor who's in mm. Pusher 3. But that guy <clears throat> got locked up. And oh, yeah. so that was nixed. Uh, and arguably, I mean, I, I think there's a case that can be made that Pusher 2 is his strongest or one of his strongest movies. Yeah. Um, now, as far as Zoller goes, I don't know. I, I feel like he knocked those three movies out in rapid succession and then lost his confidence or something. And he's not rushing back to directing because he, he had a project that was lined up with Amazon, which was going to be his script mm-hmm. directed by Park Chan-wook. Mm-hmm. And starring Matthew McConaughey, which just sounds oh, wow. off the charts, insane for for talent goes. Um, yeah, and now that doesn't appear to be happening. And I know he wants to do a Hug Chicken Penny um, film in like a Jim Henson style, mm-hmm. uh, but it doesn't look like there's really a market for that, or the studios don't see a market for that, where they feel comfortable investing twenty million dollars, forty million dollars, however much money that might take to pull off. 
I, so I, I, I tell you the way to do that. The way they need to do that is get the guys who did Coraline. Uh, get the get those guys to make the Hug Chickapenny movie. That could be good. Um, so I, I I don't know what his mo is for now. I think he's just kind of retreated into writing novels where he's not going to get any sort of pushback or have mm-hmm. to deal with the politics of Hollywood at the moment. And I can't blame him, but yeah, again, more wasted talent as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I think uh, bringing it back to Refn, I really I think the perfect property for him would be to do the keep. I agree. I think that would be uh, amazing. <laughs> I wasn't going to say the keep. I was going to say crying Freeman. Are you too familiar with that property? I am not. It's an older, like eighties, hyper violent, hyper uh, erotic anime. Like back before they got all weird and pedoey in the nineties. Uh, like back when they were like, uh, uh, just very like visceral and disturbing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's about this like Yakuza assassin. Um, you may have seen pictures of it, but he's just like this jack dude in a speedo who's covered in this Yakuza tattoo, uh, and he kills gangsters. But he feels great remorse afterward, and he cries. Uh, oh. It's uh, there's more to it than that, but it's very fucking bonkers. It's super violent. It's very stylish and slick. And I think if he just if he just went and whitewashed it and put Gosling in that role. And just ignored the uh, <laughs> ignored the Japanese well, element and went for it. I they, think it would be huge. They did that in ninety. What is it? Ninety five, uh, starring the Iron. No, is it the Iron Chef? Mark the the Cascus. Yeah, yeah. Well, not yeah. He's, he's the Iron Chef now. At the time, he was the Iron Chef's nephew, right? Now, is he even Asian? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's uh, he's. I think he's mixed. He's I think American. he's American. Like, he's from Hawaii. Yeah, he's Hawaiian. And, Oh yeah, yeah, he's Hawaiian. That's not real. That's like me pulling fucking Asian. Hans, did you not see the illustration of you on my Instagram? You're plenty Asian, okay? <laughs> yeah, it's just a just a chubby face Asian old man with thick eyebrows. Yeah, that, that, that's you, Hans. Can't you yeah. tell? Can't you look in the mirror and see yourself, Hans? Oh, yeah. What was the what was the prompt that you gave? Because yours looks a lot. Prompt? I hired an are. illustrator. I said, "Hey, here's a picture of Hans. Could you just draw this man?" That's what I did. Prompt. Yeah, and then he gave you like a curly, uh, weird fucking Jerry curl on top of your head. That was good. Yeah, too. That's right. He made me a Polish Jew. That's. I mean, yeah, that looks like the cover of a Park Chan Wook movie right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, it could be, uh, you know, you know, I I've said this before about Refn's career. He he's kind of like a transgender director, where he started as like ultra masculine, violent, and then he just gradually becomes like a beautiful flower, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's kind of, that's essentially what his career. So he needs to flop. He needs to make a real dud of a movie next. Uh, he needs another. I mean, only God forgives. People did not respond to that, but that was a lot of clearing out the crowd that was there just for drive mm-hmm. uh, i think if he did another one of those um then maybe we would see something pretty decent i don't know uh, do you have any thoughts on too old to die young because i was not a fan of that uh so i felt about that the way i felt about twin peaks the return mm. uh i thought it was a master class in like antagonizing your audience uh, I felt like I was being like actively trolled and provoked and I got like, I got a kick out of that. I laughed a lot at the show. Cause I just, yeah, I, 
I could just see him uh, enjoying tormenting the audience. But uh, I thought like uh, I thought like episodes four, five, and six, that chunk in the middle, I thought that was really good. Um, I thought you could really see like Ed Brubaker's writing in there, who I'm a fan of. Um, and that's when that's when it really started to get like some speed and the the art of it and the style of it like with the uh with the actual plot finally picking up i thought that got really interesting but like that that second episode especially that, that's a complete slog uh my hats off to anyone who can get through it and then after episode 6 it like it became like it became so preachy it like inverted itself where it was so heavy handed in what it was doing that it basically made the opposite point. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. What are you referring to? Like the cops uh, parading around in, and yeah. acting like cartoon characters, essentially. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, there were definitely aspects of it that I enjoyed that felt like classic Refn. Uh, where he wasn't indulging too much. And I would cite it as, yeah, four, five, and six, those middle episodes, which I think were the episodes they premiered at Cannes or Sundance or something. That's you know clearly where he had his most confidence. And a lot of the rest felt like filler to me. Yeah. Um, especially when once like the entire uh, last third of the series is essentially dedicated to uh, this Latino gangster getting pegged by his girlfriend sister whatever I, some kind of relation to him he's got mom issues they all have yeah. mom issues in a ref in film um yeah. but yeah i'm interested to see what he does with maniac cop i think that could be fun is, is that even happen? happening though i feel like that's kind of on this list i feel like there's a lot of projects that i remember hearing about years ago that just haven't gone anywhere and maybe it's just due to covid well, I think we checked in on that kind of recently. Like, Hans, you, didn't you look it up, I think, a couple of shows ago, and it turned out it was still happening? Because I thought that was definitely dead on arrival. Uh, he also had something that he was going to be um, directing a film called, I think, the, the, the Avenging Silence was the title. And he made a post about that with a little mock poster on Instagram, and there's been nothing on that. But in, in the interim, he shot a Netflix show with his daughter, What was that about? I have no clue. I think it was like her on a ranch or something. I, it might be a reality show. I have uh, no clue. Uh, uh, how, how's it looking, Hans? Uh, the, I have... Let me see. You got to come this, in a little bit be, closer. It's going to be a series. Uh, the most recent news is from January 27th uh, saying that it's going to be a TV series for HBO. Mania Cop. Yeah. Which is the same news from like 2015 or 2014. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing really, nothing new. Well, I think they should do, you know, here's what they can do. Get J.J. Abrams and do The Keep as a Netflix series. You could do it as an HBO Max series. Didn't he do Lovecraft Country or one of those shows? And then you that get. Was Jordan, that was Jordan Peele. Yeah, that's oh. a big piece of shit. Yeah, he'll put his name on fucking any horrible show. Like, yeah. I, I checked out the pilot because it was like Al Pacino's coming to television. And it was him as the Nazi hunter for that show, Hunters. And I was oh, like, this God. is the worst writing I've ever seen for a <laughs> streaming show. I should have known something was up when they cast uh, the guy who played Ted Mosby on How I Met Your Mother. Mm. And they had him, like, dress up as, like, a 70s, like, Jufro kind of guy. 
That was horrible. Oof. Yeah, no, I never watched that. Maybe you uh, should watch it. Maybe you should watch all the episodes and tell us what you think about them, Hans. Yeah? Do you think we're going to do an episode on Nope? Do you like Nope? Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, Wolfman, do you have any thoughts on Jordan Peele, the director? Uh, I'll be honest. I haven't seen any of his films. You're probably better uh, for it. I didn't see Get Out because I had the ending spoiled for me almost immediately. And I was like, all right, well, I don't give a shit now. Yeah, it was and the then, white but, people. Yeah, exactly. But now that... Uh, yeah, now now that he's kind of now that it's clear that he's been he's just going to stick with that theme, uh, which normally wouldn't bother me. But I always I, I think it's so odd that it's always like it's always guys with one or more white parents mm-hmm. that always that always take this stand. And it's like, how do you fucking go home for Thanksgiving when you've got one parent where your entire body of work is just being like, hey, uh, you and everything you passed on to me is evil and dog shit. I think it's an overcompensation because they have that that white side to them. And he, I think he grew up oh, with yeah. a silver spoon in his mouth. I'm pretty sure he's from a pretty affluent area of New York City. Oh, of course. Um, so well, it's, it, just, it's the same thing with Donald Glover. Like his mm. whole his whole career is like so obviously contrived, where like he becomes he becomes famous for like being like this like very nerdy, very white kind of comedian and then realizes that he doesn't have any black fans, so he reinvents himself as a rapper, uh but only white people listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh and then like Tina Fey, who's sort of like his patron, uh doesn't like, you know, rap because it's misogynistic, so he reinvents himself again as socially conscious rapper and he gets that uh buck broken uh hair and beard that all those guys do when they get serious. Yeah, they, uh, I'm not going to shave for a couple of days, so my beard is just coming out. It's like, I just woke up, but not really. It's very yeah. manufactured. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not even to say that he's not talented, but I, I don't know. It, it just, uh, he, he seems no. like uh, they both seem very inauthentic. No edge at all. Just oh, none, very none whatsoever. Manu- just manufactured, just very, you know, I'll be what you want me to be type yeah. of thing. Right. And, um, you know, as far as Donald Glover goes, I, you know, he's he's a good actor or whatever. But, uh, you know, all the credit he's gotten for Atlanta, his FX show, mm-hmm. uh, should be given to that Japanese man who has directed every single episode. He's like the art director of that show as well, who uh, is very good with other non-Donald Glover related things. And Donald Glover, I mean, it could be debated whether or not that same quality is maintained uh beyond atlanta um yeah I, I as far as jordan peele goes i actually don't mind him as a director for the most part i think he's just extremely overrated and it makes it very difficult to yep. um take that aside when watching his movies and being able to uh personally critically receive them because i remember when i watched us his second film uh people were like oh it's so it's so introspective as for <laughs> As far as the American experience and how there's a class system in place that, yeah, okay, sure, shut up, shut the fuck up. Um, and you watch oh. it and it's like, it's not that deep. Yeah. It's not that, it's just, it's whatever. And then you watch it a couple of years after the fact, once you get away from that bubble of context, of social context, and it's like, this is kind of an enjoyable, stupid horror film with Tim Heidecker being an asshole in the supporting role. Um, and that's about it. That's about the extent of it. And it seems like Nope is more in line with that, where it's not as 
political. It's just him doing a pseudo UFO movie, I guess, and um, toying around with that more than anything that's a socio-political cause. Well, that, that's the problem with his fans, I think, because I, I don't know if he's as deep as they would want him to be or as they pretend that he is, because you got to remember, he's coming from uh, Key and Peele, right? He's coming from Mad TV. He's coming from silly, dumb comedy. Yeah. But for for whatever reason, he's been elevated to this Kubrick-like filmmaker where, you know, everything he does has a hidden meaning and, and there's politics on everything. And he's not saying this. He's trying to say this other thing that I made up in my head that has nothing to do with what you're watching on screen, but it's there. Uh, so when you watch, like when you watch us, I remember the the whole narrative around it was, you know, like you said, the class differences and all this shit. And then you watch it's just like, yeah, like a silly movie, people talking with like a silly voice and, oh, it's doubles. Okay. And then people get killed. Cool. And then, hey, holding hands across America or whatever. And it's like, this is just, it's a fucking movie. Like the, people try to find a lot of meaning on things that are not that deep. And then he produces things like the Candyman remake, which is another one where people were trying to find like a deeper meaning to this movie and how, you know, race and all this bullshit. I don't and know. It's just I, a fucking I enjoyed bad the Candyman. movie. Listen, yeah, I you, gave yeah. it a good review for that show. Yeah, yeah you that did. Now, now Hans, Hans, are you just sore about Candyman because of your medical condition? <laughs> <laughs> I... I wish I liked it more. I just, I hated it. I, I, uh, it's just, it didn't really do anything that worked for me as far as I, I can remember it. Uh, and I just feel like for whatever reason, this guy has been elevated to uh, a brilliant everything. And, and then when you actually watch what he's done, if you forget about all the politics that other people attach to, to them, they're fine. And that's it. You know, there's, there's not really that much, uh, depth that goes into it, but now you know he's he wears glasses and cardigans, so he's you know a scholar now, a, a real filmmaker, and that just I just don't see it, or at least haven't seen it in anything he's done yet. I think that's that's been a problem in in movies for for a long time, though is like the idea that like ev- everything is everything's brilliant, like everything has to be brilliant. It can't just be good. Mm-hmm. So if something's just good, everyone makes it out like it. It's the it's the you know it's the next greatest thing i mean that that's a very good point um i don't think people were in the theater watching they live from john carpenter going, this is a brilliant film this is brilliant yeah. social commentary <laughs> no it's very obvious social commentary yeah. but it's enjoyable and the right. two lead actors are enjoyable and the design is enjoyable and that's all you really need to do to have a successful film it doesn't need to be some sort of intellectual masterstroke um, and I, you know, that's kind of how I see Jordan Peele's films is it's mm-hmm. on par with a lot of eighties movies that also had social messages or whatever, uh, baked into them and usually weren't as on the nose, but were pretty obvious. Uh, they're, they're fine. They're very watchable, um, rewatchable, not, maybe not. Uh, but that, that's about the extent of his career to date anyway. He's a, he's a, in, on par with Shyamalan for me. That's the, the type of like quality of these movies. Like I, I, I don't hate Shyamalan. I think we've talked very positively about him in this podcast. But he's also someone that's 
already peaked, I think, mm-hmm. and has his has his good movies and his terrible movies, and uh, you kind of know what you're getting out of his films. Uh, I feel like he's he's in a in a very similar level where uh, at the beginning of his career he was very overrated, uh, and everyone was thinking that again. I think a couple of magazines even put him in the cover, being like the next Kubrick or whatever, right? Next Spielberg, uh, I think that Spielberg, was, uh, yeah. Hollywood Reporter or something, or one Variety, huh? you know? Right, and and I wonder if it's that um, because there's no interesting artists out there anymore. Uh, the last one that that still uh, has stayed relevant and and uh, kept his qualities probably Tarantino. Everyone else, I feel like, has either fallen off or disappeared. And it's possible that people are just starved for that new, uh, uh, I guess, yeah, Kubrick or or the the new name, you know. But I just don't don't see anyone right now. It's a working director that that could claim that even someone like like uh eggerts whose whose films have a a distinct quality and a a very distinctive visual style but i i don't know if we need that you know let's let's wait and see if history gives them that title why do you have to give them their title that title after they made two or three movies you know well I, i think a big a big motivation for it now is you can definitely tell the way they talk about a lot of this shit there is like extreme generational insecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, like millennial and now pr- probably like older Zoomers who are like making their way in the business, I think they're getting a sense that they are not uh, producing much of any lasting merit, uh, which is not to say that they never will. I think there's actually a very strong chance that like the millennial generation could make some pretty significant contributions but it will be later like it will yeah. be like when they hit their 50s and that will be like when they have like some serious perspective on like what what our generation was and its place in uh the chain link of history but that's not to say that it will happen but i do think it's possible well i i think there's certainly more going for that outcome than uh not to immediately dismiss generation z uh, but it doesn't seem like anything uh, particularly worthwhile is going to be coming out of that particular uh, generation of people. But then again, it's early yet. You know, these are these people are only what, like twenty years old, twenty five years old at this mm. point. Hans, you're you know you're Gen Z, right? So right. maybe you'll do something great. Um, do you want to talk about that new Russo brothers that I know you really liked? Oh yeah, speaking of speaking of Refin and Gosling, you know Ryan Gosling. Uh, he's he must be hurting for money i i guess between this and i mean look you can make the argument barbie's not going to be commercial direct because they got noah bombach writing the script and greta gerwig is directing that so it's gonna be like pretentious commercial garbage uh but the gray man my god what uh no i i I won't even start with my guy it's just whatever it's so like netflix you know it's it it was uh it was whatever It, it was exactly what you think it is that's the, that's the thing about the gray man. Uh, but I would love for him to get a string of flops and start doing more interesting movies, being a little more desperate for uh, whatever role he can get. So maybe Refn and him team back up and do something. Crying Freeman. It, yeah, you, you, could, you could do that. I'm um, telling you, man, that's a slam dunk. 
I th- I think maybe what Refn is lacking right now is he needs like that other person to uh, have a sort of uh, symbiotic relationship with. Because it was Mads Mikkelsen for a second, and then it became yeah. Ryan Gosling. And I think he was sizing up uh, Miles Teller to be that guy, and it doesn't look like it's going that way. Miles Teller, he's very lucky he got Top Gun. I'll say that. Between uh, doing The Offer, which is that Paramount Plus adaptation of uh, the book oh. about the making of The Godfather, where he's, I mean, you could argue he's not worthwhile to that, uh, but he's the only worthwhile component of that series. Everybody else is giving really bad impressions, and the writing is horrible. Um, Finish it? No, I didn't finish it. Mm. Fuck that. No, come on. I've got, <laughs> I, I'm not going to spend 12 hours on the offer. Um, but it seems like he can't really get it right otherwise. Even that Netflix movie he did with, I think it was, what was it, Chris Hemsworth, who was also directed by the man who who did Top Gun Maverick, uh, didn't perform up to standard. Oh, yeah, that was a piece of shit, too. I watched that. Uh, what's it called? It's about, yeah, like drugs and like people that live in a facility that are being manipulated by gigantic scientist Chris Hemsworth. Uh, it's, it's bad, but yeah, he, he's, I feel like he's, he, he makes like five movies and one of them hit and then the other four are just either whatever or bad. Uh, but he's gotten very lucky with the ones that have hit. Like you got whiplash that, that I still uh, feel like is really good. Uh, yeah. and then, and then this hit that was maverick that i don't know if anyone was expecting something uh, this movie to be so successful and he happens to be in it so uh yeah he's he's got a very uh up and down career but i, I don't know if uh if i would put him in the same category as a uh, ryan gosling or worse matt mickelson who's one of my favorite actors who i think he's always good on everything that he's in even if it's a piece of shit uh maybe reference should go back to him you know? i think uh, probably I- interesting I think Miles Teller might, I think he might get interesting if he can hang in there like in a few years, because he, he kind of has that quality for me that Jennifer Lawrence has where it's like, they're just, there's something about them where they're so baby faced that like when they're playing adults now, they just seem like young people playing dress up. Yeah. Like, I don't, he, I don't buy he definitely them as has adults. That, he definitely has that vibe in Top Gun Maverick where he has like a, a shitty mustache to, uh, you know, invoke. Yeah goose uh and it doesn't look right on his face it looks very especially for like a man in his mid-30s i think he is now Mm -hmm. Uh, he should be able to grow a much thicker one than that it doesn't it doesn't look natural to him so yeah they gave him they gave him a jamie fox mustache it's weird which is very thin little Mm -hmm. that's just a black guy mustache Hans. that's not jamie (laughs) fox all right um do we have anything else we can add about uh, the keep or about Michael Mann in general, just to um, add a bookend to this show? One thing I wanted to bring up about the keep and uh, looking into the book and such, I could, I couldn't find anything about this, but I'm, I'm wondering if, uh, if Paul Wilson got any inspiration from uh, what happened with Rudolf Hess at the end of his life. Because uh, Rudolf Hess, you know, infamous, uh, uh, you know, member of the Nazi high command, uh, after the Nuremberg trials, he was sentenced to life in prison at, at Spandau Prison, which was basically a decommissioned castle in West Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, at the time of his death, he was the only prisoner in there. I think, I think when they put him in, there were a couple other guys in there. But for, 
I think decades, there was just this, he was just this lone man imprisoned in a castle uh, under heavy, under heavy guard. And then in the eighties, when he died, they had like bulldozers on site on standby, ready to tear down the castle, like immediately, which to get like, uh, I feel like the, if you get conspiratorial or uh, if you have the mind of a horror writer, I feel like that is like, I feel like that's ripe for inspiration. Just the, uh, the suspicious nature of that. Yes. The ghost of Hess. Yeah, that could be, that's very spooky. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I I mean, when was the book published? I feel like it would be right around the time. Um, Do you know when he died? Uh, Hess? Yes. I think it was 87. Okay, so this book would probably predate... Um, yeah, this that. came out in 81. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, of course. The Keep was 83, the, yeah. the movie. Uh, by the way, I'm currently in a bidding war for a hardcover first edition of The Keep on eBay, right? Which go... They're pretty pricey. They're they're anywhere from like $80 to $107. Um, it's got kind of a cool cover. Uh an inappropriate there's like a little nazi flag in the bottom and there's you know they're doing the ss thing with the the logo anyway um yeah uh it, you know you would have to think that um he was doing all sorts of research on on you know nazi germany in general um maybe that was at the forefront of his brain or or somewhere uh in his unconscious that's a very interesting fact though i didn't know that about uh hess or, or the end of his life can you imagine just being king of your own castle? That sounds, that sounds uh, awesome. like a dream. Yeah, but you can't leave. <laughs> well, why would That's you want to leave? It's your castle. It's, ca- yeah. it's your castle. It's the ultimate castle. dilemma. <laughs> I am. He's he's like Molasar. He's truly Molasar in the in the most. It's a very Nosferatu. Castle. Very Nosferatu uh, ending for him. Yeah. You know, he should have just grew his fingernails out and sharpened his teeth and walked around like this to <laughs> scare the guards, <laughs> make it extra spooky for them. Um. I don't know. Which, which, which did you guys prefer? Did you prefer the book or did you prefer the movie? Uh, on the on the whole, in terms of the story, I definitely preferred the book. Uh, it's it, it's just so rich. Like mm-hmm. I I actually I really enjoyed the book. I want to read more of uh, Wilson's stuff. I want to get into the 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 adversary uh, cycle. I think is what the series is called. And uh, he apparently has this character who's pretty popular in genre circles called Repairman Jack, who I, I want to look into. He sounds like a like a paranormal problem solver, something like that. Mm. Uh, so I want to give that a shot. But the, the it's weird, even watching the movie again, and it, I found it kind of frustrating. There, there's there, there's something about it that I don't know that makes it so. Uh, haunting isn't the word but uh it's i don't think it's a movie you can dismiss i feel like if you watch it it's gonna stick with you i think that's a pretty solid way to there's so much that's going for it yeah that doesn't feel totally complete and and that's i think the biggest tragedy about it is you have so much um quality in all these different aspects and it doesn't exactly come together but it still creates something that's very interesting um as far as i'm concerned as far as film goes mm. uh and is worth visiting maybe just on those grounds alone um what about you hans i think it's a it's a fine 
one time watch. I, I don't know if I would rewatch it or if I would go back for any reason other than, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I couldn't think of anything that, that I would want to see again from the movie other than maybe when the, when the monster appears and all those effects, because I love shitty eighties effects, but it, it drags a lot too. uh, uh, once, uh, the Ian McKellen character appears, I feel like that instead of elevating the movie, it brings it down a little bit more instead. Uh, it focuses a lot on him and he's just not very good in it. Uh, and then it, it just drags until the end. I, I, I was, I was pretty bored for the last, half hour of it i think for, for have 45 minutes so i i didn't finish the book i got lost and <laughs> and by listening to it um I, i'm not very familiar with audiobooks uh i don't know why i thought that it would be like an old radio show with like foley and shit like that you thought it was gonna in, be production in, yeah in in this one is just a guy uh doing most of the voices if not all of them and it, 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 when he was doing the the Jewish character, it felt very uh, stereotypical, <laughs> very Did like. Did you just oh, do an he's... emulation of that real quick, just for those who haven't listened to the audio? No, I, I couldn't even think of a, of a line from it other than like, no, I don't, I, I can't do it. Oh, but then, but then another thing about the movie that really bothered me was that the German the Jewish character. Yes, besides yeah. the Jewish uh, guy, the German. Uh, nazis they just had arnold like accents <laughs> like it was just very put on bad uh fake german accents just make them you know talk like americans in that case because then it's just silly because he's just you know pretending to be german but they're obviously you know, not how germans would speak i guess and they would nazis communicating in english with like a bad mad tv like accent that was that was kind of off putting that I was think. the choice of the narrator typically you, you do whatever you want if you're the narrator of the book um but yeah i, I mean i didn't think he was bad i mean as far as it being one guy that's all audiobooks hans that's yeah, that's every single audiobook for, for the most part yeah. uh very rarely you know maybe if it's like a short story anthology or, or something along those lines it'll jump between multiple narrators or if there's uh let's say three points of view, three different characters, and they might dice it up that way. But for the most part, uh, this is pretty bog standard. Um, and I, I thought it was decent. I was expecting when I originally downloaded it that it was going to be a book on tape, which I had a book on tape version uh, that had been uploaded to the internet of Stephen King's It Before. And the audio on that is just really um, difficult to stand because there's a constant cassette tape hiss mm. as the man is speaking uh but no they they decided to uh, release a new newly recorded audiobook for audible uh within the past 10 years i guess and uh, the quality is good it's very good yeah I, I don't know i think it should be more like the old vincent price radio shows where they have like folly work and you know thunder and shit like that make it more of an experience than just oh there's a man reading a book that's cool not very appealing to me. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you should go back in 1940. You old fuck. Yeah. Maybe you want to listen to Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Get invested. Yes, in that's more interesting than this one man reading 
doing Jewish voice. Yeah, imagine imagine being Rudolph Hess all alone in your castle listening to <laughs> wrestling to the shadow on the fucking radio. <laughs> um, you know, I I I'll, I'll I'll say this. I think that the book is clearly of superior quality uh, in terms of being able to get invested in the characters or the storyline or anything like that. But just as far as the depths of creativity uh, and the style, I quite enjoy the keep and I probably prefer it. I see them as almost two separate things entirely just because of those tonal differences Yeah, and uh, what the keep as a movie uh, represents in, in being this flawed um, artistic, I won't say masterpiece because it's not a masterpiece in any regard, but just a, a flawed, uh, interesting piece of art. You it's know, a monster so, that was rejected by its creator. Oh, it's real. It's very Jordan Peele of you to put it that way. <laughs> well, I, I would actually, I'd like to see man tackle something like this again. Like go, go really out of, out of genre, like out of type. That uh, would be, that would be fun to see him tackle anything that requires, uh, you know, either fantastical or, or horror elements, but it seems like he's kind of gotten comfortable in his mid budget mm -hmm. single guy taking on one little goal and uh maybe it's a period piece or something yeah. uh black hat is is kind of that way uh tokyo vice uh, have you checked out tokyo vice at all by the way wolfman i have not uh i uh i kept up with uh kind of your and anthony's commentary and i listened to the episode that you guys did with brendan and anthony uh and yeah, it didn't sound, it didn't really sound like it was worth jumping into, especially when I heard that Michael Mann, it's not even really his show, mm -hmm. uh, which that's, that's a part of the reason why I've just kind of bowed out of watching anything new is I'll, I'll hear about something and it's like, oh, Michael Mann, a show called Tokyo Vice, that sounds incredible. And then the closer it gets to the thing becoming a reality, the more all of those components get stripped away. And then it winds up not being, not being a thing that you would get excited about. Well, what I'll say about Tokyo Vice is this. Um, he only directed the first episode. I read the book Tokyo Vice by Jake Adelstein a couple of years ago, mm. and I remember it um, frequently veering away from him trying to crack this like sex trafficking case and how it intertwined with the Yakuza uh, so he could write chapters uh, upon chapters of him uh, fucking prostitutes and talking about how good his sex style was and how she was so impressed with mm -hmm. his piece and all that. You know, he was Jap Ansel Japan. Ansel Elgort. Yeah, well, no, Ansel <laughs> Elgort's a much more handsome man than the real Jake Adelstein. So he oh. he got a good deal there, okay? They well, I don't cast... know. I mean, if, he, if, he, if he's fucking whores and it's a human trafficking thing, that just sounds like uh, good research. Yeah, that's that's, that's really like good, boots good, on the ground Good detective research. work. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so the book I thought was kind of whatever. It starts off well and uh, isn't really my cup of tea by the end of it with the series. Not dissimilar. So Michael Mann, um, he knew that this series was coming out and was like, oh, well, that, that sounds kind of similar to Miami Vice. Why don't I just get involved here? Why don't I just step in and make this my project? Mm -hmm. And uh, he kind of did that a little bit. I think he was just more giving pointers on how to handle certain aspects of the show. But he directed the first episode, the pilot, and then they had some other guy handle the rest of it. And you can really see 
the difference. And what I would compare that to is you take a look at the direction of that first episode and it feels like a workman mm-hmm. did that. Um, and then with the other episodes, it's more like it feels manufactured, it feels more, all right, this goes here, this goes here. Um, this will all be on the assembly line. This is not going to be personal, like right. what man has created. Because there's so many, uh, again, to use this word flawed, um, creative choices in that Tokyo Vice pilot where it's like the audio is bad here. Mm-hmm. There's a loud hiss. There's like a weird tracking shot. And it like it, the camera jilts in a way that's unprofessional. There's a lot of aspects of that that you don't see at all anymore in films, especially from uh, such established directors who are afraid of coming in. You know, uh, well, the young established directors, I think, are, are very nervous about letting those things come up in their work because they won't be taken seriously. But in reality, what you do is you wind up, I think you wind up over-polishing it and it mm. voids it of any real character. Yeah. No, I so agree with that. That That's really the difference there between the first episode of Tokyo Vice and the rest. The first one I think is worth watching just as like a little mini film for Michael Mann. The rest is enjoyable for an HBO Max show, but what does that even really mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> content yeah. yeah it's it's something to watch it's something to try to look forward to once a week well i was watching miami vice but they took it off the roku channel so now I, i'm just gonna have to buy the damn dvds it was getting great too man i was like halfway through season two. Oh yeah well no yeah. that that's really where you want to be because he michael Mann leaves miami vice I, I think around the end of season two or early season three i have the blu-ray box set mm-hmm. which has every all all the episodes and it goes to some weird places later on in the show. Like they completely almost um, entirely weed out Don Johnson's partner. His name's not coming. Philip Michael Thomas, I think is. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Uh, Tubbs. Yeah. Tubbs. They, they, they start to weed him out significantly and it becomes the Don Johnson show and he grows oh, his no. hair long and it's about him dating some famous actress or something. <laughs> He's he's like a famous PI famous detective now. And no, Hollywood no. T- and... Tubbs like, the, it's the two of them is what makes it work. I know, I know, but uh, it, it it goes to a strange place, and uh, oh, that breaks my heart. The fina- the series finale isn't even like that, like big of an event or anything. They just kind of treat it like a procedural season finale, and it's not. I don't know. Maybe they'll do a new one. Maybe they'll do a, a like just how they did a Nash Bridges movie with Cheech Marin and Don Johnson. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll they, maybe they'll get those guys together again. I don't know. Yeah, and then, then they can die in the pilot and their daughters can be the fucking main <laughs> yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. That is literally what would happen, though. That's oh, of course. Even, yeah. That, that should not be uh, seen as a joke. That's that's how that would go. Although, uh, is that better or worse than Vin Diesel doing that for NBC? Because that was the original plan, like, six years ago. What was Vin Diesel well, going to do? He was going to reboot Miami Vice, and uh, it was going to be an NBC procedural. Oh, no. Uh, well, like they did with uh, Hawaii Five O and, uh, and Lethal Knight Weapon, Rider and yeah, oh, that yeah, it was right during that time where they did Lethal Weapon, and that Ugh. lasted three seasons until Damon Wayans was like, "Nope, nope, a uh, piece of shrapnel hit my ear. We have to fire the other guy, Clayton Clayton, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think his name was the guy who was playing the Mel Gibson role. He got yeah. him fired over that, and uh, they also tried to do a Rush Hour TV series for CBS around the same exact time, and that." did not take like the Lethal Weapon show did. It's just preposterous. Like who who greenlit that? <laughs> I don't know. They were they were trying to do that. They were looking at all these old properties to see if they could turn it into cop procedurals. Cause I know they did the Beverly Hills 
cop uh, pilot. And that got canceled because people wanted more Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy agreed to do the first episode. And whenever they do these test viewings for, for audiences, they say, click a button when you're especially glued to the, the episode. And mm-hmm. they would always hit that button when Eddie Murphy was on screen, not so much with the lead guy. And CBS said to Eddie Murphy, we'll give you $50 million if you join the cast as like a regular. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because yeah. Eddie Murphy's got enough money, I guess, from the clubs. Yeah. Well, so, I've, I've, wasn't it? I've, I've said I've said this a million times about shit like that. It's like they keep doing these remakes that are for no one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, because the people who love the original thing, they don't want it remade, and the people who don't love the original thing don't give a shit. They want something new. So just do something new or don't do anything. Yeah, they won't do that. They'll just keep making Beverly Hills. <laughs> no, I know. No, you're you're absolutely right. Wasn't there a Knight Rider one? They, they, I thought there was a there's a new Walker Texas Ranger. That's that's also. I didn't a, hear about a thing that. for whatever They're, reason. They're keeping that low key because from... they cast a white guy as Walker. That's why you don't hear about that. Is, oh, is they, they did. They yeah, did. The younger brother. Wilson? <laughs> no. <It's>, um, <laughs> the younger brother for Supernatural. Y- is it? Yeah, Jared Pat Padalecki, Padalecki is the star of that show. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, Walker. So. Great. It could be worse. Listen, it could be much worse. Could be Rebel Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I think that uh, that is going to be the show for this this evening. Uh, Wolfman, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at det underscore Wolfman, and nowhere else for now. All right. And uh, it has been a pleasure having you on for a solo episode. I don't think our mashup our three show mashup really counts as far as that goes so uh it was good to get you on and talk about the keep and uh we'll uh, we'll have to have you back real soon for another episode if you're down yeah absolutely man thanks for having me this was a blast awesome all right that has been movies for this week thank you for listening